Hey friends, welcome to God on Tap, and as always, I'm Nike Spalling, and today we are finishing this little tiny book of Jude that feels like it took me nine months. I feel like I just uh, went through a full gestation period. So anyways, no, I'm kidding, uh, but it's been fun to go through this book, and who knew that a pandemic would actually cause me to slow down my podcasting. I would have assumed it would have gone up, but either way, we are at the end, and I'm excited to wrap it up because this little section of Jude is actually really meaningful to me and my church, St. Jude Oak Cliff. And so, uh, but yeah, without further ado, let me read it and then we'll jump into the text and we will close out this incredible book that we've been in these last few weeks. So verses 24 through 25 of Jude, ending out Jude, verses 24 to 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, the reason why this little passage means so much to me is this is called a doxology. And a doxology is really a, we get the word from doxa, which means to be, to give glory. It's, it's words of praise or songs of praise or, or almost hymns. We have them throughout the New Testament. They were part of the liturgical worship. We just say it was a part of the gathered people of God to have these things in some of the letters that the, that the New Testament writers would send out and also as a part of their worship experience. And the reason why this one means so much to me is every single Sunday, every Sunday for since we began in October of 2017, every Sunday at St. Jude Oak Cliff, we end our service by singing this doxology. And so if you're curious what that song sounds like, the words are a little different. Um, it doesn't, it, we don't sing it exactly like this, but if you're curious, you can go to our uh, YouTube channel, St. Jude Oak Cliff YouTube, literally pick any service, any Sunday service, and just go to the end. And what you will see is our band um, up on stage and you will hear the very loud singing of our people because it's this thing that because it, it feels like it belongs to us, it feels really special to us. We even call it our St. Jude Jam. You know, there's some songs when you're learning them, they're kind of new, or maybe you're kind of in this meditative point when you're in worship. But when we end with that song every Sunday, you can you can hear it sung with gusto and with great joy. And it's formative, right? We say, now to him who is able to keep you from falling, to him who will keep you till the end, to him be the glory, the honor, the power forever and ever. Amen. And we sing that. We sing that line multiple times. And it's something really powerful about every Sunday singing as the people of God, declaring what God has done for us and declaring it to him as an act of praise and worship and glory that we as the community are declaring together that our God has done something special for us and that is in keeping us from falling. He will keep us until the end, which is really sweet to end every service on. So this means a lot to me. And so what I'm gonna do today is just explain what a doxology is in form. So you can kind of see it whenever you're reading through your New Testament scriptures. And then just to address a couple of things that uh, Jude says in this particular doxology. And so first of all, doxologies, like I said, are words or songs of praise. They're often not super long uh, and they follow a pattern. And so the first thing is the first thing you'll see is that it's addressed to a person. So there's a person to be praised. Now to him, that's how ours is, right? To, and so it's a reference to God, of course. All of the doxologies in the New Testament, of course, are going to be to God because otherwise that's, well, that's heresy, blasphemy, right? And so so there's the person that's going to be praised, but other doxologies from nature will follow this pattern as well. And so this is a this is a literary tool that the church has brought in as a way to form their worship. 
So one person we praise, two, there's the word of praise, and it's usually the word doxa, which is where, where glory comes from. The word, the Greek word doxa is glory. And of course, that's where we get the doxologies, like these studies of these glory phrases, these glory terms. And so person to be praised, word of praise, and then an indication of time. And for us, it's forever and ever, uh, which is a pretty good indication of time for how long God should be given glory. It's not a week, not a day, not a year, not even just your lifetime, but instead forever and ever. Yesterday, and let's see how does Jude say it. He says, be glory, majesty, and authority before all time, which I love. That's a great phrase. And now, and forever. So as if you're wondering if there's any time when God did not deserve glory, Jude's like, before there was ever time, now currently, and then forever. So I think I've covered all my bases, which I love, uh, which also reminds me, there's a game I play called Amazed, made by Neil Patrick Harris, and it's just a game of riddles. And they ask the question, what are three consecutive days that don't are, that don't use the words Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday? What are three consecutive days that don't use the days of the week. And the answer is, is yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So that's a good little riddle in case you want to riddle your friends. And I'm way off track now, so let's bring it back. So our doxology has one, the person that's going to be praised, two, a word of praise, typically the word doxa, which is what we have in ours, three, an indication of time. And for us, it's forever and ever and ever. And then four, they always end, except for all the manuscripts end in the same way, which is with the word amen or amen. And except for there's a couple of manuscripts where Second Peter doesn't quite have it. And what that is that we believe is an invitation from the listeners who would be receiving this letter. It's a chance for them to respond with amen. Amen is a Greek term that we kind of end our prayers with it, but it just means verily or let it be true. Kind of this understanding of like, it's just, we're saying, we're saying amen as a way to say, uh, you know, let it be, so to speak. Like let, let, let this thing that you are saying be true is how we end so many it's it's just a phrase that the early church would have understood to be that um and so it's like uh i think b says it's a strong affirmation of what is stated so you can imagine the the early church the readers of jude's letter would be getting this letter we've gone through the whole letter and then it ends with these strong words of praise for god and then he says and let god before all time now and forever receive this glory and the people of god would then say amen like, let, let us heartily affirm what it is. Like, l- let it be so, truly, amen to that. And so, which is cool. I mean, you see that in so many church traditions too. Like, you know, if a pastor is really preaching and you kind of, you know, you've, you like you offer an amen, like, amen, yes, yes, let it be, let it be so, right? Or when we all pray together, right? And you always wonder why people maybe end prayers in amen. If you've ever wondered that, it's kind of like, you know, one person might be praying for a whole group and they're saying things that like, gosh, like, Lord, like, like right now, right? My prayers with my roommate when we have a meal, it's like we pray for the meal. And then one of us usually says, and God eradicate this world of COVID, get rid of it. And you will, and usually then the other person who isn't praying will respond with amen at the end, like, right? Like we agree, like, let it be so. And so that's why part of the community of God's people have said amen at the end of prayers and at the end of doxology, even at the end of worship, right? You sing praises to God and then you say, amen, let it be. We agree to this. Uh, and so that's part of why I, I just I love that this is something that was started 2,000 years ago, and it's a tradition that we keep today where we say amen to these things. Um, so what is what is Jude saying in his doxology? So that's the form of the doxology, but what is Jude actually saying? Well, if you think about it, Jude has given these unbelievable warnings, right? These false teachers, be careful, be careful, be careful. And then all of a sudden he's like, hey, this is how you live a life pleasing to God. 
okay? Do this, and then also try and snatch people from the fire. And then he ends with, but listen, let to him who is able to keep you from falling, right? So there's this warning, right? If you're not careful, you might get to the end of all of Jude's teaching prior to this moment and be like, I'm, I'm screwed, right? I, I know that I'm supposed to live a life pleasing to God, but I, man, I am, I am naive. I am gullible. I like to follow strong leaders. I tend to go with whatever the strongest voice around me is saying, or gosh, I don't even know my scriptures. Like you're saying build a foundation upon this thing. I don't even know what the foundation says. Like I'm, I'm screwed if I'm left to try and figure this out on my own. And then here's Jude saying, hey, God can keep you to the end. God will keep you from stumbling. It's, it's ultimately God's work in our lives. Like, yes, there is a response to God's loving embrace that we would walk in obedience. There's a response to God's invitation that we would pray in the power of the Spirit that God has so graciously, like the Father sent the Son in the world to accomplish our salvation, and the Spirit was sent in order to apply it to our lives, that there is a gracious response to that that would say that we would keep ourselves in the will of God by obeying Him and praying in the power of the Spirit and all that good stuff. Like, that is absolutely our response to this good gift that God has given us of our, this eternal salvation. Salvation, but, but ultimately, ultimately, it's the faithfulness of God that saves us. Ultimately, it's God's work that keeps us from falling. And we see this throughout the Psalms. Like Jude is not unique in this understanding of praise the one who's able to keep you from falling. Throughout the Psalms, if you go back and look, there are so many times where it talks about like, the path could be rocky, but God keeps our feet sure. That there might be snares along the way, but God can keep us from falling. That there might be enemies on every side of me, but God can help us walk the path, right? This idea that ultimately, yes, there is some measure of human responsibility in our salvation, right? And I don't, no, that sounded terrible. Blah, 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 pretend I didn't say that. God saves. God alone saves. Grace alone, by faith alone, God alone saves. But there is something to be said for obedience in response to that. Right? That's why the book of James is so difficult for us because he's like, hey, what's the point of having faith if you're not going to, like, like if, what's the point of looking in the mirror if you're going to forget what you look like? You're like a dog returning to vomit. Like, what's the point of saying, like, hey, grace and peace to you if you're not going to give them your coat, right? We, we like the Romans passages that talks about grace, 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 but there is in 1 John this idea that, listen, if you love God, it will be evidenced by obedience in your life. So the work of salvation is entirely the work of God. But there are passages that say, look, the, if the result of God's work in our life is that the power of the Spirit moves us to do and respond to God. We are empowered by Him to be obedient. We are no longer disobedient slaves, but instead, really, we're disobedient servants. We're disobedient slaves now, but we have the power to obey. We have the power and the desire to want to walk with God. But if you think that the 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 you know, sort of responsibility meter falls more so on your side than on God's, I've got good news for you. God is working in our lives to keep us from falling. God is working in our lives to keep us to the end. And that is good news. That yes, there's, there is some human responsibility in some way in this faith. And depending on what faith background you have, you either highlight that human responsibility a little bit more than others, right? And like we get that. That's part of how we argue in churches all across the globe is that we can't agree on how much human responsibility you have, whether you're Arminian or you're Calvinistic or you're Reformed or semi-Pelagian or on and on. Like we don't, we always argue, right, about how much human responsibility you have. But at the end of the day, yes, there's something to be said for walking in obedience. But... There's a whole lot more to be said about the glory of God that says, I will keep you until the end. And then he says, not only that, I will present you blameless. 
And that is a really powerful phrase. The other time that it's actually this idea of being presented blameless is this idea that in the end times when when God, when Jesus returns, he's going to take his bride. He's the bridegroom and he's going to come collect his bride, which is the collective term for the people of God. And he's going to present his bride to his father. And the way Ephesians says it, he says, without any blemish, with no reason to be ashamed is what it says in Ephesians 5. That ultimately we will be kept by God from falling and presented blameless, without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle, that we will be presented, that the righteousness of Christ will be so effective in our lives that the people that we are, that will be presented in the last days are the perfected people of God, those who will partake of God's glory, not to his extent, but to the extent to which he would offer it to us. That is huge. In a letter that you've been told, be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful. How good is it that it ends with, hey, But in all this being carefulness, in all of this, be on alert, be on alert, be careful, contend for the faith, watch out, they will harm you. But, but know that God is on your side. Know that God is able to keep you from falling. Know that if you are are willing to believe in it, you can give God the glory because he will present you blameless. That his righteousness will be a credit to you. That you won't have to, there will be a day coming in the last days when there will not be false teachers. There will just be the teacher, the triune God. And you will stand in front of God without shame, without regret, without failure, without tears, without imposter syndrome, without malice, without judgment. But instead, you will stand before God sinless, blameless, spotless just like the spotless lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. What an incredible way to end your letter, Jude. My goodness. And so what's our big so for us as a letter? I think I think we have a lot to learn from Jude. I think that we should be truth tellers, right? I think Jude is very much like Amos. He reminds me of those Old Testament prophets where he's like, um, I'm going to spit some truth your way, and it's, it's going to be harsh. Uh, It's going to be harsh to the glory of God, but it's going to tell the truth. And I'm going to make good distinctions between the sheep and the wolves. And I'm telling you, the wolves, they're the worst, like the actual worst. And you need to be careful of them, okay? And I'm also going to, because I'm a pastor, I'm going to, I'm going to love you enough to tell you how to walk the path of goodness, to walk the path that is walking with God all the days of your life. I'm going to also tell you that. And then I'm going to end with a high praise of the God who ultimately holds us in his hands. And that there's a mystery involved when humanity bumps up against divinity. There's a mystery involved in how our human responsibility and God's role interplays. Like there's a mystery there. And yet, ultimately, there's a comfort that we take in knowing that there's the God capable of keeping us from falling. He will keep us in his hand until the end. And in that end, he will present us As the people of God, without any blemish, without any stain of our sin, those tunics that were stained by our sin, those are long gone. We are washed white, clean. What an incredible message that I think we still need to hear today, 2,000 years later, and we're still going yes and amen to the words of Jude that proclaim the most excellencies of our triune God. And so what's our final, final so what as we wrap up this book? I've given this some thought. I think there's, um, 
a lot of different ways I can go, right? I could I could admonish you one more time, hey, be careful for the false teachers, but I think we did that, right, for several weeks. I think we did that. Uh, I think that I could, um, you know, double down again on yesterday's lesson about what it means to walk in obedience and all of that, but I really just wanted to sit and when Jude references being being presented blameless, it really Ephesians five is a passage where if you if you haven't read it lately, I go read Ephesians five twenty two through the end where it's a passage that you probably have heard in, in wedding ceremonies where it talks about you know husbands love your wives and wives you know all this stuff and and that's good and right right but the but the basis of why husbands love their wives is because in the same way Christ laid down his life for the church that's the model for husbands and in the same way. Christ does these things for God. That's how wives are to are submit, right? And sort of this, like, in submit, respect, whatever. I'm not, again, I'm not looking to get into controversy, but there's this, in the middle of these passages about husbands and wives, sometimes, because we are only thinking of them in the earthly relationship of husbands and wives, we miss the very high Christology behind it. The reason why marriage even exists is it's a metaphor for the way that God is entered into the world and the kind of relationship that God has made with his bride. And Jesus being our bridegroom and we being the bride, and he says he washes her with the word. He washes her, that Jesus washes us and then presents us spotless and blameless with no reason to be ashamed. And I have, I have gone back to that Ephesians 5 passage over and over again because I believe that so many times the enemy whispers into our ear, because he is an accuser, right? We saw this earlier in the passage, right? He accuses Moses of being a murderer, and therefore he doesn't deserve an honorable burial. Like, we have an enemy that accuses us. And that Ephesians 5 passage that Jude is also having in mind when he talks about you're going to be presented blameless, that is a powerful truth. That is not a presumption of Christians to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to be presented blameless. Like, none of this sin is going to matter. Like, that's not it. Instead, it is your right as a Christian to know and to place your hope in the coming of Jesus where you will be met with unbelievable mercy so that not only will you receive eternal life, but you will be made new in such a way that all these sins, all the muck and mire, all the poor choices, all the addictions, all the things that so easily entangle us, it's like they will be undone. Not just that there will be a Sharpie marker, right, that crosses through it and says paid for, but instead it would be like they got wiped away completely. And that's a great truth because we live in a world full of shame. And one of the things I've noticed in this pandemic is that the opportunity for me to sin seems to be greater. I'm sure that I was sinning just as much and maybe I just didn't know it, but because time feels different and how I'm spending my time is different and because I'm less distracted I feel like there's a lot of more time where I'm allowing myself to consider what I am and who I am and where I'm going and for some reason it tends to bend towards shame towards that arc of shame that I'd been toward the arc of a narrative about me that is simply just untrue if we take seriously this doxology that Jude offers to us at the end of his book and so I just want to encourage any of you listening to this, whether you listen to it now in the pandemic or you listen to it later, there is, there is a competing narrative in the world that says we are not just that we do bad things, but that we are bad things. And that's what shame says. Shame is not, hey, you've done a bad thing. Shame says you are the bad thing. And for some reason in our culture today, that message of shame just seems to be worrying faster and faster and faster. And this is a really good antidote. 
this Jude passage is a really good in it. It's not permission to not care about your sin. Certainly not. He goes to great lengths in his other verses to say it's dangerous to not care about the will of God. But what he does say is the one who will keep you from falling, the one who will keep you until the end, he will present you blameless. And there's something really beautiful and hopeful and redemptive about that. And I think we should hold on to that. And so here's my big so what for us in this book of Jude is to listen to all the other ones, take heart in all those things. But maybe take some time to consider what it would feel like when you stand below before your Savior, when you stand before Jesus Christ, your bridegroom, and to know that all of the pain, all of the heartache, all the poor choices, all the harm you have done and the harm done to you is now gone. And you are, in fact, blameless. Maybe consider that, think on that, and reflect on that. All right, friends, if nobody's told you that they love you, I do, but way more importantly, the God who presents you blameless in the end, he's crazy about you. Peace.